We're back, man. Yeah. Another week in a row, bro. That's it. We kept this one was tight. This one was up against it, but we kept we kept it alive, man. And uh, you're in a different shirt, so you yeah, know. I got a different shirt on. That's today. cool. You know, uh, what's that? Is Clemente shirt? Mm-hmm. I like it, man. Thank you. Yeah, switching it up a little bit. <laughs> I saw you having catch in the Yogi shirt, and I was like, this dude's gonna wear the Yogi shirt no, again the Yogi, up here. The Yogi shirt is like that's like my uniform. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when you see me in that, like that's like my uniform. Do you wear it under your jersey when you pitch? No, it's a different color. If it was the same blue, I would. Okay, I got you. Now we have not yet spoken on the podcast, so we need to do so briefly before we get to our guest, David Cohn. I took you on a New York pizza adventure, and... It was great. Right? Yeah, it was good. Oh, man. It was good. I can't lie, man. <laughs> Prince, Street, Prince Street Pizza, man. Oh, how, that Prince Street Pizza was unbelievable. It was good. Unbelievable. And you love the Joe's Plain Slice, too. And Joe's is good. Joe, Joe's is like a classic New York spot, but I got to tell you, man... I think now Prince Street, those are our. That's like our family now. After that, oh experience. yeah, they, we had a good time there. Those people were great. Like they had no problem letting us come back there. Like be in the back, it was dope. It was dope. And so it'll be part of an always on episode, which is your. Uh, do we call it a reality show? No. Okay, just, just a, a TV show for uninterrupted. Yeah, uninterrupted. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did, by the way, did you watch the shop yet on HBO? I They're haven't. Doing, was it good? It I was good. Catch yeah, it, it was good. It. I'm contractually obligated to say it's good on this platform anyway, but it was. It was good. <laughs> But it was good, man. It was good. I it, feel like they need to have me on that. Like I'd be perfect oh, on that shit. You would like, crush that. You yeah, would, that's like my that's like my my thing. I'm sure they're gonna ask you. They, I, I'm I'm sure they will at some point. Maverick. But I, I want to see it though for sure. I want to. I mean, that's a dope concept. Concept and and like, that's a real thing, man. Like you go to the barber shop in the hood and like, that's where all the real conversations happen. You know what I'm saying? Like so. That's dope that they're doing that. LeBron was saying in the episode, there's always that guy in the barber shop who's not even there to get his hair done, but he just like. He just messing with everybody oh, there, it's, right? It's always two or three dudes that's in the barbershop yeah. every day that's not there to get their hair cut. <laughs> you know, in there to maybe sell you some shit. Yeah. You know, uh, start some shit up. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's just, that's just how we go. <laughs> I like it, man. So maybe, like, you know, add, like, a slice of Prince Street pizza in there, man, and now it all comes together beautifully. I'm, I'm looking down. We're we in the booth, obviously. I'm looking down. Yeah. The Tigers taking BP. My one of my best friends, man, Victor Martinez, like an old man. We look old. He looks like an old man. We are old, I guess, man. He's old. I'm old. Fuck, we've been playing for a long time. <laughs> he, you know what? He's gonna retire at the end of this year. Unlike, I, I unlike somebody that. I know. I heard that. That's yeah. right. You still going for another year, right? Yeah, we, I'm gonna try to play another oh, year. All right, good. It's some. It was spicy something. It's a square slice. Anyway, a bunch of people are gonna know after listening to this. They're gonna be like shouting it as they listen <laughs> but see we have one of my broadcast partners who's one of the best teammates i've ever had um i'm excited about this because david Cohn knows pitching and he's got stories man he's so. got good stories he's an old school pitcher so I'm, I'm sure this is gonna be great i'm excited and you know he's the type of dude who's just like he he's like waiting for a platform where he can just like curse and say whatever he wants you know like <laughs> i feel like we, we we're a lot of the same in, in like the way we think about pitching and some of the like old school teaching that he had that I kind of got as a younger guy playing in that era at the beginning of my career. So uh, I feel like we got a lot in common. I think it'd be fun. Me too. Here it is, David Cohn on R2C2. So we'll just start, David. We'll okay. just go. This is this is live. Right on. We're on. Bring it. That's it, man. That's it. I feel, I I said it to you before, but I've often felt like this is the format for you. Because, like, one of my favorite things, see, for, for uh, 
like rain delays is just getting to sit around and listen to like David's stories and stuff. Like, because you never know where he's gonna go with them. You know, there's a lot of different I, places. I feel like he's got great stories though. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> can't tell the truth. <laughs> Take it to the grave. <laughs> this is the spot where you can. This is finally the platform where you're able to to let loose on all those stories that you hint at on your broadcast, right? Cryptic. Yeah. A lot of cryptic messages. I like that. I like when you will occasionally throw out, like, right, just like a, a hint of one of those stories or a line, see who picks up on it, who might hit you on Twitter. Yeah. But you actually interact on Twitter. <laughs> like, you, you'll, you'll, you'll interact some with fans during broadcasts it's, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's the only platform that I sort of get, you know, Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I tried Instagram. I follow, you know, much less Snapchat or some of the others. Facebook, I've never done Facebook. I can never do Facebook either. You know, Literally it just doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel right to me. Nothing against it, but Twitter just feels real time. feels now. <laughs> Instant gratification. And you're able to, like, ignore the trolls. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just laugh at it. But it I feel like he wouldn't have many trolls, though. Like, what could they troll you about? You know what I'm saying? Like, always... You got the World Series rings. You, like, the career was great. Like, Somebody always hates you. You got the you. great story. That's true. <laughs> Somebody always hates you. <laughs> it is amazing. Like, right. No no matter what, you could be, you, you literally could be Mother Teresa. And someone would be like, oh, she's just doing that for show. <laughs> like, that's the way, that's the way it breaks down. I can't, I ended up setting up a policy last year for myself. I'm like, I don't look at Twitter during the game. And I will. the only time I'll break it is, like, if I felt really good about a home run call, then maybe I'll go on, like, for a half a second. <laughs> do, you, do, you tech, do you hit people back on Twitter all the time? Sometimes, yeah. But I, but I won't usually, like, hit back the – sometimes if somebody says something, like, mean or whatever, I might just say, like, thanks for listening, like, have a good day or whatever, or like, or I'm glad you're listening that closely or whatever, just trying to have fun with it. But usually I'll keep it to, like, when people compliment me, I'll say, hey, thanks, I appreciate it. I'll keep it to the night. <laughs> you know, I like to read all the reviews he of likes, nice things. He loves it. Yeah, that's what I like to share. David, you said something yesterday on the broadcast, and see, you just kind of mentioned it too. You guys like pitching in that extreme heat, that 98 degrees or whatever? I do. I mean, my arm got loose, especially the older I got. You know, you, you needed a little extra. You needed, you needed uh, that flexibility that the heat gives you. You get a little extra extension. And, you know, to me, it just was easier to stay loose in between innings. You know, I loved it. As long as you, you know, you didn't wear out. If you didn't wear down or get dehydrated, you know, I, the hotter the better. Yeah, for me, the hotter the better, like 1,000%. I, I just stay loose. I don't. Sometimes I have to go down there and ride the bike in between innings just to keep my like to keep the sweat going. So like if I if I'm sweating the whole time, um, I feel like my fastball is gonna come out better. My arm just works better when it's hot like that. So um, yeah, I, I mean I'm you know grew up in Cali, grew up in the heat, and you're used to it. But that jersey too, it's so thick. You know, I mean like a baseball jersey is a. Th- it's oh like no no thi- no, nah, not we don't have an old. They're not thick anymore. No, no, no. Oh, it's okay. a New Jersey, bro. Yeah. It's, it's it's all thin. It's it's really got whole bunch of holes, and it's a different it's a different top. It's now. like a dry fit jersey it now. Is. It, it is. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. polyester. You haven't man-made. seen the New Jersey? <laughs> yeah. No, they're not like the old. Right, uh, like the like the wool. sweater wool. The wool. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not, yeah. Those no. guys wore wool. Even back probably in, the day. in oh. early in your career, they're probably bigger and thicker. Probably. I think they're better now. Definitely, they they, they breathe better. They moisture wick better. So yeah, without a doubt. I mean. It's about range of motion. The heat helps your range of motion. Pitching is all about extension, a little more flexibility, reaching out with your pitches, you know, everything. Just 
feels just legs a little feel easier. looser. You can kick yeah. the leg. You know, you just feel better. Honestly, wow. yeah. So crazy. you see, it's like ninety eight degrees, and you say, All "I'm right. loving it." Yeah. Wow. Like even man. like Larry told me coming in, he was when we left. Where do we coming from? Baltimore. He's like, "It's gonna be hot next start." I'm like, "Yeah, it's perfect." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's crazy to me because I'm out there. I'm watching. CC just like sweating his face off and I'm like and then I hear you say like no this is what you like and I'm I'm like wow I would think it would be painful out on the mound on a day like that. Yeah pitchers especially as I said you know when you, you're a veteran like CC CC's uh, you know he's been around since 2000 2001 his first year and it's it just remarkable to me the durability that he's been able to show the transformation he's made in his career but yes the you know it's it's there's your ligaments thicken up over the years. Your 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 range of motion, you know, gets inhibited over the years just from all the times he's heaved it in there. I mean, do you ever think about how many times you've thrown a Man, baseball? I try to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. I mean, think it's it's what thousands upon thousands upon it's millions of times. Keep yeah. going. Keep yeah, going. exactly. It's ridiculous, and you know. David, you were someone who used to be able to, like, you would re- you were at least known as. I don't know if it's true or not, but, like, somebody who could, like, invent things on the mound. Like, w- during a start, kind of, like, come up with something, find something that maybe maybe was new or unique. Like, how often would that happen? Or how often does that happen when you're out on the mound you tweak something just a little bit that's maybe a new, maybe it's a new pitcher, maybe it's just a slightly different grip? Or For me, it was arm angles. I was lucky. You know, I learned how to pitch and play wiffle ball in the backyard, and I was trying to be like Louis Tiant. <laughs> Yeah. Or Juan Marichal were my two favorites. You know, it was Condlestick Park or Conway Park in our, our <laughs> wiffle ball yard. And, you know, I just dropped down and started throwing sidearm, you know, occasionally when I was a kid playing wiffle ball. And I carried it through. And every minor league manager I had tried to break me. That's probably why I got traded a few times because I was a militant. You know, I was butting heads with pitching coaches the whole time. <laughs> and I just kept doing it and kept doing it. So for me, it was all about arm angles. I wasn't afraid to drop down kind of like we saw with shields the other night he was he I was, I was thinking the same thing yeah you know later in your career the more you got to try to trick him and give him the element of surprise and i had gaylord perry actually when i was a rookie and when he was at the end of his career in kansas city and he did a lot of that and i tried to get him to teach me to spitball but he wouldn't do it he said, you're too young. i'm not teaching you that you're too young but he did he talked about the element of surprise you know and that that for me it was just changing arm angles is spitball a real? I mean, do people actually can, can? Does it do anything? It's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's like spitting an ice cube out of your fingertips, and it just shoots. It's almost like a knuckleball, only almost almost better because you can throw it harder. Wow! But you know, seams. You ever seen the Cy Young Award trophy? You know your Cy Young trophy. The, they got a dry spitter. They, the spit. Uh, the, the spitball. The, it is. The, the yeah, grip. It's a, oh, is it really? Yeah. It's a spitball grip yeah. on the Cy Young Trophy. I never even tripped on that, but it is. Though, yeah. Oh my god! It's a spitball grip, and uh, you know, you just no seams, and you get a little moisture, whether it's Vaseline or anything that's slick, and you you, you get just the right amount on your fingertips, and you just kind of squeeze it out like a bar of soap or an ice cube, and it really dives and off the table, even better than a splitter. You know, it's just um, late, quick, darting movement. Wow. And you have enough velocity on it, like shooting it out of the fingers like that you to do. get it to home plate? Yeah, you can. I mean, it's a, you really have to learn how you to do learn it. How to, yeah. It's not an easy pitch to learn how to throw properly. Um, people I've say, heard people that have that, that thrown it, though, I mean, that that can master it. Yeah. it is, but you have to disguise it, too, at the major league level if you're going to do it, right? Which I would imagine is It's he, hard to do now. Right. You, you couldn't get away with it now. You'd be walking like what Big Mike had to. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> his neck. Exactly. Right. You can't get away with nothing no. these days. I feel for you guys with the baseball. There's a new baseball every time. Baseballs feel different to me. I don't yeah. know. You, you've got some time now. 
seems like the seams are different. They are different, you know, for sure. It, it's, we've seen blister problems with the pitchers. Big time. The ball definitely goes further. The studies that have been done have kind of proved it. Uh, there's a physicist, Meredith Wills, that did a study, took the balls apart, and said they're using 9% more, more thread on the seams. And that way they can wind them tighter. The Major League Baseball did a study that said, yeah, they, the balls are traveling at least six feet further. They don't know why, but there's no doubt the baseballs are different. Yeah, and and like you said, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy, I like to have a new ball every time. I'm just used to it now because that's what I've gotten accustomed to because they throw the balls out so much, so now I just throw it out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, to catch a grip or, or even when I'm sweating like last night, you see me going into the dirt trying to dry my hand off and just get like a dry spot. I don't really need much st- sticky stuff. I just need it to be dry. Mm. Is is the weight different on the baseball too now, from what you guys have felt with the different like uh, seams or whatever? It's probably imperceptible. Yeah, you, know, you can't to, really to the feel. I'm sure there, there's a variance in there. That yeah, there's a little bit, but every ball's different though. You know, and, and you get a different ball for like you can have it for one pitch. Or, you know what I mean? And you definitely don't get it after a hit or a ground ball or something like that. So. You never know what you're going to get out of that bag, man. It's crazy. How often in your guys' careers have you said, like, have you gotten a ball and thought, like, mm, this isn't great but kept it and then given up a hit and been like, damn it, I should have gotten a new I ball. I never do. That's why you see me throw every ball out. <laughs> <laughs> I never wanted to, like, to feel like it's a reason why I gave up a hit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, I, I, like, I, I, wouldn't, give my, I wouldn't do that to myself. I'll, I'll give you my story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was a scary one, but. No, I used to throw purposely when I was warming up in between innings. I wanted to throw a slider in the dirt to get a scuff on the ball and make sure that I got that ball back. And if an infielder ever threw it out, I'd, I would bark at him. Give yes. me that ball. Yeah. I got one one day. I was pitching for Toronto. <laughs> threw a slider. Got the perfect scuff. If you get the scuff in the perfect spot, you can turn it over, and the ball will move in the opposite direction of the scuff. I two-seamed one, put the scuff on the left side, got under it a little bit. It took off like no fastball I've ever thrown and hit Mark McGuire right in the head. Oh, my goodness. And it was scary. I mean, he went down. He went to the hospital, concussion, and knocked him out of the All-Star game. And I never did it ever again after that. I never used a scuff like that, especially to throw it inside to a righty. It just got away. I'm sure it probably just took off. Because it's Mark McGuire, so you're already going in. You know what I mean? Like, you're going in, you got to go in. Like, you can't leave it over the place. So... I mean, I bet you that thing it did. Took it off, did. Man. You could, I mean, the video quality isn't good nowadays. I mean, you can find that video somewhere. It was 1995, and but yeah, it was the nastiest fastball I ever threw. It moved the more than anything. I talked to Dave Stewart afterwards. He was with Oakland at the time, and he said, "Man, what 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 happened with that one?" <laughs> he said, "I knew you didn't try to do it on purpose because the movement was like this. It just sailed up and in." I don't know, Mark McGuire. I don't think he forget, still forgives me for that right now, but. I talked to him eventually. I haven't told him that story. Yeah. But well, I maybe did a, now he's going to hear. <laughs> so I apologize to him. I felt terrible. I mean, anytime you're on the mound and you hit somebody in the head, man, mm-hmm. that's that's tough. I believe in pitching in. CC pitches in more now, more effectively than ever before, I think. And you have to make guys move, make them conscious in. But, but they, they dive now. They don't get they out of the way. Now, they don't know yeah. how to get out of the way. Really? Why yeah. do you think that is? That Because guy, guys don't pitch in. Nobody so so that's in. why they're diving yeah, because people guy, are. I mean, you see more guys now standing way off the plate, and then they'll, they'll. I mean, you see guys standing way off the plate, and then they just dive in. Hmm. You know what I mean? Back where back in the day, you, I mean, you couldn't do that. You couldn't dive like that. So it was more guys throwing in. I mean, it's probably a handful of pitchers that throw in more than ten times in a game. Yeah. In the big leagues now, whereas I mean, everybody had to do it back in the day. You know. But when you guys are throwing inside, are you thinking like? Is there any party that's thinking like? I want to throw in 
but oh, I don't want to hit him in the head. Like, is that something that comes into your mind as you're trying to go in on a guy? I think you see more of the hip, hit batters like Judge or even Jeter. I mean, the style of hitting from the 70s, guys like Hal McRae and Lee May, they used to try to swing the, get the barrel of the bat out, swing the head, get the head out. Now they lead with the knob more. They lead with their hands through the zone. It's kind of a lag style hitting inside out like Jeter or, you know, be able to get to that pitch inside and get inside of the ball and they lead with their hands, and their hands are exposed. And that's we saw Jeter get hit so many times over the years. Yeah, that's how Aaron Judge got hit. He kind of brought his hands into it. So you really, you worry about drilling somebody in the hands now more than anything. Yeah, I don't worry about it. I, I always envision like a broken bat or a swing and a miss. That's always what like comes to my mind when I think about throwing in. So I never, I've never thought about hitting anybody or or you know. Don't hit anybody in the head. Do you actually envision something like before you release the ball, like what yeah, the every, pitch is going to do? Pitch. Yeah, every oh, single yeah. pitch. You're you're envisioning what's going to happen. Yeah, that's cool. It's like uh, I mean, that's sort of like a mantra that would be chanted in a baseball movie. I feel like you know, like you're on the mound, like see the strikeout or whatever, yeah. but you actually do it. Yeah, and it helps. It. Would you do that too, David? Yeah, I think stylistically, you watch pitchers and a lot of them in their windup, and then especially the windup. They will look down for a minute in the middle of their delivery at the ground, and that's when that visualization comes in. And then when you come back up in the middle of your delivery, you pick up the target. And that's when you follow through with what you're visualizing in your mind. And see, a lot of Maddox was like that. He would look down. Pedro's one of the only guys that kept his eyes on the target the whole time. Mm. Real quiet head and kept his head real still. But That's very noticeable, too. If you, if you, like for a pitcher, like as a pitcher, watching another pitcher, him keeping his eyes on the target is very weird to me watching him pitch. Yeah. Because his head never moves. Like, that's just a weird thing. Like, I do this, exactly what he just described. I look down, visualize, and I pick, pick the target back up. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. So what is the ideal then? I'm going into the weeds a little bit because I love it, and you guys are, are both such accomplished pitchers. But what is the ideal, like, catcher setup for you then? Like, does it bother you if somebody flashes the glove late, if they're moving late once you're – already on the way home like does that kind of stuff like does it mess with you in the middle of a of a of, of a windup the only time it messes with me is if it's a runner at second base and i'm not sure what sign he called <laughs> so then like i'm like oh shit he made a call to uh if like row moves late and, and it's a slider in he may have called a cutter so then sometimes it'll fuck me up but no i mean but for the most part knock i mean i it, i don't really uh i don't really care either way uh, as far as that goes but only, unless i don't feel comfortable about the sign I just saw, I'm like, fuck. Oh, yeah, what, I what pitch am I supposed to be throwing right there? <laughs> How about you, David? Well, I, you know, I've seen the strike zone change a lot. You know, in the days of, of the the Braves, you know, the, the trio, Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, strike zone was wider. I mean, you look at the in the mid-'90s, we got pitches that far off the plate. Now, we didn't get anything at, at the belt at all. And I've seen the strike zone kind of change gradually to back more north and south like it was back in the 60s and 70s. So, when you could exploit six inches off the plate, you wanted your catcher out there with a bullseye target. Yeah. And don't move that glove. Let me hit it. Let's give Dutch Rennert, you know, the, the, the old National League umpire, a good look at it. And, uh, you know, so in that sense, yeah, I wanted, I wanted the, the carnival, you know, the bullseye. Don't move that glove. Let me hit the target. Now a lot of catchers want their hands real relaxed. They'll let it drop and then try to frame it at the last minute with a real relaxed hand. I like, I like to see the target. When I look down, like I described before, in the middle of my delivery, when I looked back up and picked up, I wanted that target there. Mm. You know, I, I have to follow up on what you said about McGuire before. What what have your interactions with him since that been like? Very, uh, I've hardly ever seen him. You yeah. know, he's uh, he, he kind of bounced around in his different coaching jobs. When I have seen him, it's been cordial. Yeah. 
And, you know, and I always say hi. We had that one big discussion after he got out of the hospital, and I went to him with my, with my head down, very sheepish, and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm really sorry. And obviously, it wasn't intentional, and he was very gracious. He was. Uh, I think he was upset that it took me so long to get to him, mm. but I actually tried to go in their clubhouse right after the game, and Tony LaRusso was the manager, and they were pissed. Mm. <laughs> and they said, no fucking way. Don't go in that clubhouse. And I said, all right, I'm out. I'm out. I won't do it because I wanted to. Wanted to get to him right away, but he was already in the hospital at that point. Yeah, have you ever had to do that? See, where to apologize? Yeah, no, you haven't. <laughs> have you ever wanted to? No, but does this happen? It's old school, right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, we playing a game, Ken. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. I, mean, I hate to. I mean, you know, it's, you don't want to hurt people or anything like that. But I mean, I'm, we out there competing. You know that. That's a great point. And my point is, as a pitcher, you have a right to defend yourself and. If you're throwing fastballs on the outside corner down and away or just off and hitters are diving and hitting bullets back at you, then that's, hey, wait a minute now. Nobody says anything when they hit a line drive right by my head when I'm on the mound. Yeah, you're right. And, and if they're diving and taking advantage of it, Nolan Ryan used to say, hey, that, that part of the plate's mine. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you take advantage of me, then you're going to get a bow tie. And that's, that's what he called it. But I- nobody talks about the pitcher being able to pitch inside to protect himself from line drives coming back up the box. I think I just had a very old-school pitching coach. My very first pitching coach was Dick Pohl, and he was very old-school and just never had me apologize for anything. Like, when you out there, be a fucking – be a bull. Yeah. And, and don't apologize for shit and, and go, go hard. He was tough, Dick So Pohl. I never – yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was tough. He was rough on me, man. He used to be and, rigid, but he kind of softened up the later he got in his yeah. career. But not, not with me. He, I mean, he was – he was <laughs> <laughs> greatest name. <laughs> greatest. He used to be really hard. <laughs> greatest name in broadcast. And that's his name, Dick Foles. Get right. softer with age. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Oh my gosh! You know what's funny? In all seriousness, we—I don't see. I don't know if you remember this. We joked about this, like one of our first episodes of R two C two. Just how like. He, where was he a pitching coach a couple years ago? Cincinnati or something like that? He might have been Cincinnati. He I, was in Chicago after and then since, maybe Cincinnati. How yeah. that was the name that, like, if you're broadcasting the game, you find as many ways as possible to get on the broadcast. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> you could. You could. <laughs> but I love it. That's what makes you you. You know? It's, I love it because occasionally now you get these people on social media, too, who will, like, bring back a clip. Like, did you hear what Coney tried to sneak in there? <laughs> All right, David, how, what was tra- traveling with that Mets team in in the 80s? Like, what, was it as crazy as as people make it out to be? This is the part where you can't tell the truth, right? <laughs> <laughs> or you can. <laughs> or you, can. you know, it's, uh, it was the craziest group of guys I've ever been around. Uh, it was a different time before social media. After the games on the road, it was where we going tonight. 15 guys hanging out together. I got in barroom fights with those guys, with Strawberry. I still remember a couple of nights where, you know, a few too many beers, and then something happens, a bouncer, something, you know, and the, hey, Straw's in a fight. Let's go. Everybody jumps in. <laughs> I mean, there was more than just Cooters. The big one in the Mets was uh, the, the place called Cooters back in, down in Houston. That was a big, you know, publicized, you know, barroom brawl. The whole team involved. Oh, my goodness. We, we had more than one. Yeah. <laughs> so did you guys have a procedure to, like, cover it up then when they were, when that would happen? Like, to make sure did people didn't find Did you need to cover out? it up? Oh, that's a good question. I cover don't know. Cover it up from who? I don't know. It wasn't as big of a deal. I mean, but, but no, I mean, it, 
people, it, what things didn't get to the media as quickly, obviously, you know, and it's real time now, and all it takes is one picture, one tweet, but back then we got away with more. Definitely. So, so that era, I always wondered about, like, I always, obviously, you guys' team was legendary, but, like, was that whole era like that? Was, like, like other teams like that, too, or was it just you guys? Like The Mets were a cut above, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were other teams like that, too, definitely. Um, it, it was, it, you know, it's not all debauchery, you know, I mean, uh, there was some of that, too, obviously, but... It was more of the togetherness. Like, where are we going? This is how you learn the game. You know, we're going to dinner. We're going to go have a few beers afterwards. Where are we going tonight? We're staying together. We got on each other. We learned how to play the game. We learned how to critique each other a little. It was a different era. You know, it was more of a kick kick you in the butt mm. kind of a thing to test you as a young player. I feel like I got a little bit of it, like, early 2000s, but not like, I mean, I, feel, I always feel like I played out of my era. Like, I should have been a 70s, 80s guy, You for feel sure. like that? Oh, yeah, 1,000%. I yeah. agree. I, I yeah. see that, too. 1,000%. You know what? And even see, I could see it sometimes. Well, you you try and, like, get the whole team together. I know you'll do that sometimes, right? Like oh, yeah, we hang whatever. out and yeah. stuff. Yeah, but not like how these guys did. Yeah, you know? like, no. uh, we, we were on the hunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's how you bonds, though, right? It I was. Mean, it wasn't, you know, it was just... You know, what are you going to do? Go sit in your hotel room when you're on the road and, you know, stare at the ceiling? Or are you right. going to go out? And you're going to have some fun? You're going to get loose? That was kind of the theory. Keith Hernandez, you know, used to believe, hey, you're in a slump. Hey, let's. We, you need to throw down a few tonight. You need to just forget about it. And, you know, it's not something you'd probably recommend nowadays. <laughs> you know, and I, it, it's, but that was the theory back then. Hey, this is, this is how you wash it away. This is how you forget about it. You're coming with me tonight. Forget about your 0 for 15. Or as a pitcher, forget about that you just gave up eight earned runs. And back then, we used to go out with the beat, beat writers. I remember going out with the guys that covered the team after a game, and they kept things under their hat. They were like, okay, we're off the record now. Mm. Let's go. Let's have some fun. And then they could do their jobs. They could get to know you a little better. Mm-hmm. And then you'd develop a little bit of trust. See, I could see, like... I could see George King being that kind of dude, like where you would just like, I don't know, I'd, like I trust him to just like hang and know what's okay, know what's not, whatever. But without naming other names, I could never see that happening nowadays. Like, could you ever see? I mean, I like, saw actually I saw a little bit of this, and this is what made me kind of admire Aaron Boone. But uh, early in the year, we I think we we're in Houston, and uh, he was down at the hotel bar, and I haven't seen a manager at a hotel bar in, <laughs> since since Davy Johnson in nineteen eighty eighty six, circa in nineteen eighty something. And uh, but he was there, and the, he'd invite guys over. Hey, sit down, let's have you know one glass of wine. And yeah, George King was there. And yeah. But, yeah, I think it changed the dynamic. All of a sudden, the beat writers were like, what? This, this is We're going back to the future here. And So, yeah, I mean, that, I, was, I was impressed by that. I've been impressed by how he's handled himself, too. Yeah, absolutely. See, what, actually, I haven't asked you a ton about it, but that's your, that's your, uh, you know, your old teammate and, and friend. Has it been weird having him as your manager at all? No, he's been good, man. He's, he's done a great job. I think he does a good job of communicating with the guys and, um, you know, making sure guys, you know, they need days off or anything they need. I mean, I think he does a good job of – just all around handling himself, and, and, you know, fresh-year manager for the Yankees is tough, but I think he's done a great job. You know, the other thing you guys have in common is you both have been throughout your careers kind of like voices for a team, which isn't always the case for pitchers. I remember it was something that was highlighted a lot with you, David, because you were a pitcher who would talk after games that you didn't pitch in sometimes, you know, speaking on the team. See, I've seen it with you where people will go to you and ask you about team, you know, just kind of team pulse stuff and that, like – I'm I'm just wondering, like, what do you, what do you, were you guys always like that? Like, even early in your careers, did it take some accomplishment to feel comfortable in that role? It always, t- it took me a little while. Yeah. Um, uh, I was so young when I came up, um, but 
when about 2003 or four, I guess we start. You know, we re- started rebuilding in Cleveland, and it was all young guys. So you know, I just I was the older guy at the time. I had three or four years in, and I was one of the older guys. So you know, whether I was ready for it or not, I had to step up and be a leader. And uh, I mean, it's just kind of been that ever since. You know, so. Um, I, I took on that responsibility at such a young age with a young team that has just always been that way for me now. He took it to a different level when he got traded to Milwaukee and pitched the way he did down the stretch on three days rest as a free agent saying, fuck it. <laughs> I don't care about my future. I care about here, right here, right now. Give me the ball. Yeah. And he carried that team down yeah. the stretch. And I think that's when CC jumped, I know, in my eyes and really throughout the industry to another level of selfless, I'm a team guy. Let's go. Let's get this done right here, right now, and the future be damned. If I, you know, you had a hundred million dollar contract on the table at least, and right. hey, give me the ball. You want me to pitch on short rest every time? Let's do it. I, I always a picture what your agents must have been like when you were doing that, man. Like they they had to be a nervous wreck. Yeah, they weren't happy. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't happy at all. But you know what? You're in that moment. You're just saying, I'm. You're not even thinking about that. No, I mean, I just wanted to win. I mean, I hadn't been on the team that won. You know, I mean, I went to the playoffs in 01 that first year and then hadn't been to back to the playoffs uh, until 07, and then we lost in the ALCS. So I wanted to just – I wanted that ring, man. I wanted to get that ring so bad, and uh, I just felt like that was, my, that was my best opportunity at the time. So, fuck it. I'm ready. I'm healthy. I'm young. Let's go. Yeah. I love the emotion he showed on the mound, too. I always wanted to do that. <laughs> and I, I, I was always taught, no, put your head down. Don't show anybody up. It was a really repressive – you know, uh, industry back then. Yeah. And, you know, if I looked at somebody wrong, I strike somebody out, put your head down, walk back to the dugout. And I just, you know, that emotion he had yeah. at the end of the season pitching for Milwaukee, that was like, you know, and even here, at the, I just loved it. I wish, wish I could have done that more. And I'm happy to see more of that, some authentic emotion being shown. That, to me, as a spectator, is one of my favorite parts of sports in general, is seeing – authentic, raw emotion. And I know it from my friends who are fans. When they see a big fist pump or, you know, whatever it might be, like, they connect with that stuff. It fires them up because they're excited about the game. And I always think it is – it's ridiculous to me how often – and maybe it's just because we're trying to fill content on different sports networks and whatnot, right? But it it blows my mind that you actually are going to tell somebody how to act emotionally in a moment – when you're not the person exerting yourself. Like, we want you to be in peak competition, right, being as primal as you can in sports, right? You are using your body in, 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 a, in just, like, the, the most, like, uh, the most um, like authentic way you can, right, exerting your energy. And then at the same time, we don't want you to react at all when what you want to happen happens or when you don't want to happen happens. That's what I never understood about, like uh – the bat flip situation or, or yeah. all that, like, showing guys up. Like, if you don't want nobody to bat flip, you don't get the fucking home run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm never looking at the guy that bat flips anyway. I'm always looking at the ball or whatever else. Or hopefully Guardy catches it. Or, you know, yeah. hey, Hicks, going to get over the wall. Like, you worry about this guy bat flipping, you worry about throwing a better fucking pitch. Yeah, exactly, man. It is what it is, bro. Like, like you can't – I don't know, man. It's just – I don't know. It was I'm, I'm unnatural. The it's with an unnatural – it's very unnatural to repress yourself. Right, right, yes. You know, and it really, yes. to me that never felt right to, you know, to show any emotion. Wait, I just struck out Mike Schmidt. Yeah, right. I want a fist pump. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I'm like, put your head down. He's looking at you, you know. And that just – there was nothing ever natural about it. The whole, you know, unwritten baseball rules, the respect the game, to me – 
you know, misses the mark. You know, mm-hmm. you can respect the game. Respecting the game is showing emotions. Playing hard as you can. And that's what the like you said. That's what the fans want. They want to see that. And I think that's why they reacted to Paul O'Neill so well. Is you, you go beat up the, the water cooler when you line out to somebody or things aren't going your way. It's okay to show a little emotion. And, and I think the thing I love about CC and his, why he's a leader now is because he says something in his post game co- press conference. It's, it's not that canned. Oh, I'm just here to help the team. Yada yada yada. He says something real, and that's. It's all you have to do to be a team spokesman is give them something real, and you don't have to, you don't have to bust guys. You don't have to get critical, but you, you know, say something different and something real. How you really feel? Yeah, I'm pissed off. Yeah, we need to play better. Yeah, this isn't the way you know that, that we, we we drew this up. Anything that's authentic and real that resonates with these Yankee fans because they're passionate. Sometimes they're irrational. Yeah. You see it on social media. We do. DFA this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Fire that guy. You know, but that's just passion, and they just want to see, you know, some emotion from you as well. And the, uh, the authenticity is a huge thing because they smell fake a mile away. You know, like if you, could, if you go up there with the, with the happy-go-lucky, like, no, I'm not bothered at all. Like, this is fine. The guy I think about, Ian Kennedy, went through that. You know, were you here when he was I wasn't here, here when he was no. here. Like when, and I remember people being like, don't, you know, you have an ERA of eight. Don't sit there and tell us, like, no, it's all good. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> they don't want to hear that. Like, and I understand that because they just want to know you care, right? And that's another reason why the emotion works in the game because it shows you care. Like, to me, what you just said, it's unnatural. It is. It's weird. To hit a huge home run and then not react, like, yeah. what, huh? Like, do, do, yeah. it'd be like me calling that home run, like, and the ball is hit deep to right field and it's gone, and the Yankees win the game. You'd be like, what is he? What, did it but, count? But, but even for me, like, uh, like Guardy never, he always hits the ball and run, right? And I'm like, bro, you just hit that ball 900 feet, like, stand there for a second, <laughs> and he hit that ball against Minnesota, and I lost it. When he stood there and, like, bounced back for a second, he yeah, thought about it. Yeah, he was yeah. like, I'm oh, fucking, I'm going to watch this one. <laughs> and that shit got me so hyped. And it got everybody hyped. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, like even Hicksy with the bat flip the other night and the comeback and the game-tying homer. It's like, a big homer. Right, exactly. It's a big homer. Now, of course, David, CeCe doesn't actually know what he's saying or screaming when he's on the mound. He's just like. I don't. Just, I'm just saying whatever. <laughs> it's just going out oh. into the ether. That's yeah. it. I said that the other night on the air. You know, we, everybody talks about in 1998 this team meeting that that we had. The team started out one and four. Steinbrenner was probably going to fire Joe Torre, and we had a team meeting, and what did we talk about? I think CeCe gets this, and he does it too, and sometimes it's just about finding a way to motivate yourself by channeling something you dislike about your opponent. Well, I don't like the way, you know, I, I saw it with you and Jackie Bradley Jr. The first time he, he made his debut against you, he put in that bat, he did swing, it was like, come on, swing the bat. He ended up working a walk. <laughs> that was it for you with him, right? <laughs> that was it. I don't, I don't like that guy. He's, I'm just sure he's a nice guy. He's all right, it was different. We're teammates, but I, I'm not I'm not I'm gonna use that to my advantage. Yeah. I do not like that guy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as motivation, and that's old school. Yeah, I like that too. And now we get to see all the isolated clips of you guys. I'm sure he's a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. But sometimes you need that, right, to just find, like. Well, that was the point of that team meeting. You know, Seattle had been beating our brains out. They, you know, they knocked us out of the playoffs in 95. And they beat, with that first game of that series, they blew us out. It was 8 to nothing in the ninth inning. And Edgar Martinez swung from his heels trying to go deep on a 3-0 pitch against the pitcher, Scott Kamenicki, that was really struggling. And we went. Okay, that's fine. You know, everybody played a game, go deep. But they are rubbing it in our face. They have no respect for us. 
you know, we're not going to stand for that. Mm-hmm. And, and we brought it up in the team meeting and said, hey, Edgar's a great guy. But fuck this shit. Yeah. <laughs> they are embarrassing us. They're rubbing it in our face. Let's get mad. Let's get pissed off about this, and let's go play. And that night we went out. Knobloch hit the first pitch of the game for a homer. We scored 13 runs, and we never looked back from there. Now, I don't know if that's the impact of the team meeting, but there was a fire after that team meeting. That was one of the best team meetings I've ever been a part part of. Some of them are bullshit. They don't work. <laughs> a lot of them don't work. Yeah. yeah. But, but at that point in that time, it cleared the tension. There's a lot of tension in there. Everybody's, oh, hey, Tory's going to get fired. You know, it cleared some tension. We channeled that emotion towards you know, our opponent, and in that sense, it worked. Who's the – I'm curious because when you said that about a lot of times they don't work at team meetings, who's the best either of you have ever heard in a team meeting, teammate or manager, coach, anything, who who you listen to and you say, you know what, yeah, that guy gets us going. Man, you know Eric Wedge. Yeah? Eric Wedge make you ready to run through a wall, man. Like, But it just didn't work for baseball because you can't do it every day. You know what I mean? But, like, when he did give us team speeches, we, we locked in for a little while for sure. He was good. How about you, David? I think Tory had some really effective ones because exactly what CC saying. He didn't do it all that often. Mm. So when he did, it was effective. And he would go around the room. It wasn't just about him giving the, the, the Lou Holtz, the Newt Rockney, the, you know, the, the Eddie Robinson speech you know, that, that fires you up. It's, it's kind of a canned speech. You know, he would go around the room and he'd challenge guys. CC, you got something to say? You know, Coney, you got something to say? And he would challenge you to, to get up and say something. And you know what? When you handled a team meeting that way and you went around the room and let people speak, you challenge guys. And, then they, you know, it could be very effective that way. I could also see the opposite, too, right? If somebody's trying to fire you up and it's just awkward and not hitting, not I've been landing. in those, too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to name names, nope. Cece? <laughs> like where you're but just you can just <laughs> tell when they're self-centered. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when it's, when it's, when it's uh, I want a team meeting because you guys are not playing good for my benefit. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. not because of I, we're in this together and this, this is a team thing. And you can tell the difference right away. Have you spoken up at team meetings before, C? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been, yeah. I'll speak up. Um, not very often, but I will. Yeah. How about during, how often does it happen where you pull a guy aside? Either, you know, from either of you guys. Because we used to hear that about Derek a lot. Like how yeah. he would pull guys aside and say something. Yeah, I'm not like a pull a guy aside type of person. I'm more of a like, I'm friends with everybody in there. Every, 20, every 24 guys. Like we're all close. So if I got something to say, it's not pulling you aside. I can come right to your locker t- 10 minutes from now and go tell somebody something that, I, you know, I feel is, is not going right. Hmm. Just because I have a relationship on a on a, a deeper level than baseball timing is everything you know when you when there's a mistake made on the field or pitcher gets knocked out of the game or you have a horseshit day that's probably not the right time you know the next day i mean cc knows this you pick in the right time when you see a guy when he's really down mm. you can pick him up or if you see a guy who maybe needs a kick in the butt say hey let's go man let's mm. go you all right you know you can you can probe a little bit and find out who needs what i different personalities some guys need pat on the back they're too hyped. Mm. Other guys say, hey, hey, you're a little flat. Let's go. You need a little kick in the butt in the right way. You know, knowing personalities, like CC saying, you become friends with them and you know them. You know who needs what at the right time. Do you, I mean, is it perceptible knowing how hard a teammate is working or not? This sounds like an obvious question, but like. No, you know. You know. You know oh, yeah. if the guy's putting in the work he should be or not. You know. And and is that something that will get addressed if not? Like, where it's like, hey, yo, you got to start yeah, doing it, that. It, like, it's never, you never, it's never a, a guy's performance on the field or if something happens on the field. It's always, it's always something behind that. 
So it's always like, hey, you ain't out here doing this or doing that or do, working in the bullpen, working there earlier. You know what I'm saying? So it's always something behind what you see out on the field. Mm. How? And I could see, too, especially like, I don't know, like later in your career probably your routine at this point, C, is so refined, right? Like, So you know. You know what it takes to be ready for a start. So you also probably know when someone is or isn't doing what they need to be doing to be ready to play this game because you've been through it so many yeah, times. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. and, I mean, obviously when I was younger, I was the guy that needed to be kicked in the butt to get in the <laughs> weight room and, yeah. you know, work out and do different things to, to get a routine. So, I mean, I, I know both sides of the fence for sure. Who was the guy who would kick you in the butt then? They all did, man. I mean, it, I, I was I was such the, the little brother on uh, in that organization at the beginning. So it was it could come from Jim Tomey, it could come from you know Chuck Finley, it could come from Dave Berba, Ellis Burks, Matt Lawton. You know, I mean, all those guys really, really took care of me in a way like you know teach me how to be professional and and uh, just yeah, kind of. You were twenty, you know, right? Twenty years I was old. Twenty years old. The when big I first league came clubhouse. Up. That's yeah. it's so young. It's so uh, now I can appreciate it more. Not that, you know. But, like, it's just, like, even separating in if you're – I'm 31, right? Even at 31, you realize, like, oh, my gosh, 20 is so young. Like, to be an adult on your own, on the road. And I, I didn't performing. really recognize it at that point. But, like, just coming here and knowing I couldn't handle playing here when I was that young. I wasn't mature enough. Everybody thought I was mature for Cleveland, but I wouldn't have been able to handle it. <laughs> it's a little different in Cleveland. I wouldn't have been able to handle this, bro. Oh, I, I understand that. I totally get that. What's the biggest change you've seen in the big leagues in you, all your time from that 20-year-old dude that showed up to, to now, the guy you are now? Um, I think it's a lot of changes. I think, uh, obviously, how we talked about throwing the ball in. I think clubhouse cultures has changed. I think um, – I mean, I think the game has changed big time, um, just all around. Um, I think it's a, lo a lot looser in a way where you can show a little more emotion now. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think the guys are a little more, um, you know, guarded, I guess. They try to be, you know, a lot of guys that, that you have to try to seek out privacy now. You know, whereas before, when I first came up, you had to try to, you know, seek out fame, if that made sense. Oh, interesting. You know, where you yeah. had to try to promote yourself to get out there to be famous, where now guys are trying to, you know, be as private as possible. You know what I mean? So that's a different That's a different I feel, thing. I feel for him now, definitely. <laughs> can't hide nothing. <laughs> Can you imagine playing oh, in no. this area? You? <laughs> the, the biggest change I saw, and this is on a humor side, the biggest change I saw is manscaping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have seen nothing. I saw Mo Vaughn shaving his pills in the shower one day. What the fuck is that? That is, that is you didn't see that shit in the 80s. Was that when you said, it's time for me to go? Like, like, you hey, said, I got to get my shit right. <laughs> so I got to get my shit right. <laughs> so he was motivating you. Mo was going out. That is amazing. <laughs> what the fuck is That's incredible. <laughs> this is what R2C2 is for, by the way. Are we okay He's with that? We're okay. Oh, we're man, oh, we're more than okay. We're great with that. Mo Vaughn's a great dude, too. <laughs> he didn't play. And well-groomed. That, that is amazing. Oh, shit. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I guess that's one change, too. From the, the biggest from the thing I saw. That's got to be change. the biggest change. <laughs> that's the biggest change. Well, how about, like, as, you know what, David? You also have really embraced analytics as a broadcaster. And what I think is interesting is you get attention for that now because you kind of have an old school mentality in some regards, right? Like even just talking about pitching inside or whatever. But 
and, and you were like a fierce competitor who was known for that. But you also like the numbers, you know? And I'm wondering if you were taking the ball today, what would be the numbers you would want to focus in on that you think could be helpful that maybe weren't available to you when you were starting? Well, I, there's a lot, you know, that goes into it. I still think no matter what, you've got to still, and I know CeCe knows this, is that you can't get away from your own strengths. You know, I was a pit, I pitched by feel, and a lot of times I didn't want those old scouter reports, you know, a high and tight, low and away, can't throw this guy's slider. My best line in a lot of those meetings was, who's slider? Who's fucking slider? <laughs> he, he's a slider ball hitter? Well, he he's not hitting my slider, so... So there's a lot of that from the, but to me it was really born out of arbitration, the business side of baseball. I went to arbitration a couple of times with the Mets. I saw how dirty it can be, and I also understand the numbers. And to me, the prime example was Jacob Degrom, what he's going through this year, and the old school. Oh, he's not winning games. How could he win the Cy Young Award? Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> Run support, def- defensive support. There's so much more that goes into it. I remember getting up in one of those arbitration cases, and Al Harrison was the GM for the Mets at the time. Circa 1992, and he pulled out a press guide and started whipping off Dwight Gooden's one-loss record. This is why we pay you. And I said, "Excuse me, I'm offended by that. That's not my job. My job is to put my team in a position to win the game. What happens beyond that is out of my control. How many runs we score? What kind of defense played behind me? What day I pitch on? You know, I have no control over all these issues. And one-loss record is probably one of the worst things." that you can judge a pitcher on, or at least if you're going to put all your eggs into that basket. Mm. Wins are still important. I've seen CeCe go out there in you know, a one-to-nothing game and pitch differently, knowing that, hey, I, I can't give up anything. You know, and he's going to, he's going to pitch backwards. He's going, to, he's going to pitch his nuts off right. in, a, in a different game, in a big game. He, that's why he's a big game pitcher. But over the long haul, there's so many, especially with pitching, there's so many numbers to look at that you can really peel back the layers and say, you know what? This guy's a Hall of Famer. Right. I can I can break make a case for CC Sabathia to be a Hall of Famer based on sabermetrics, right. based on a lot of these inside numbers that show his true value more so than just his one loss record. Now, when you were pitching, were you a big uh, uh, video guy? Did you watch a lot of video and 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 you know stuff like that before starts? Not a lot. You know, the video wasn't as easy. We had VHS in and out. You know, and nowadays you can whip through every at bat you've had against Jackie Bradley Jr. in your career. I mean. Five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. it was much harder back then. You know, I did look at some video, but I, to me, it was kind of a pain in the ass because I couldn't get it quick enough, and mm. you know, it was uh, the quality of it wasn't it wasn't as good back then. Do you think you would have today? Would you be? Oh, I'd be up? all over that iPad. Give me yeah. that iPad. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> Edgar Martinez has uh, got 40 career at bats against me. Let me see him all in, in 3.5 minutes. You know, the, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, just just the expediency of it of, of it all to be able to do that quickly. I wouldn't want to be bogged down by it. I think you have to have a clear mind. Mm-hmm. An hour, a couple hours before the game, I didn't want nothing. I wanted to think about nothing. Mm. You know, I wanted to relax my mind before I pitched. And then I wanted to go out and warm up, and I wanted to go all feel. I didn't want distractions. I didn't want – I wanted my catcher to know the scouting report or, you know, this guy – 2-1, hits this pitch. Well, yeah, whatever. It's not the pitch I'm throwing him. Yeah. Even if it is the pitch he likes, it's not going to be the same quality. You know, I wanted a free mind. I wanted to pitch on feel. And then beyond that, yeah, I want to know who the first ball fastball hitters were. I want to know who chased. 
which guys I didn't have to throw strikes to. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not going to make me throw you strikes. I'm not going to have to. Yeah. Yeah, that's the I'm first thing I want to know. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Is who is who chases? Yeah, if this guy don't walk, like this guy doesn't have a bunch of walks, I'm like, fuck it. Why would I throw the ball over the plate? Mm. For what? Yeah. You and know? if this guy's eyeballing, eyeballing, looking for a walk, then boom, inside corner, strike three. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Fastball. And do you, what video do you watch? None. Then? You really? I don't. No, nah, I don't. I'm just, uh, I, I'm, I'm just what Coney just said. Like, hey, this guy's good on changeups. Not my fucking changeup. Yeah, interesting. This guy can hit sliders. Not mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've always been like that. Even with my diminished stuff now, <laughs> I have now, I still believe that. So I can't pitch with that. I don't watch any video. You can't let it bog down the the feel. You're an artist out there as a pitcher. I'm all feel too. So you, I'm, you I'm, have I'm all to, you feel. have to be true to the feel of the game. In between starts or if you're breaking something down or you're struggling or you want to, you want to see a, a big body of information that shows a trend, then that would get my attention. Mm. Yeah, but very rarely in between starts, maybe Larry will show me something or something, but I, but I don't have a – I watch, like, videos of, like, uh, like Chad makes me videos, like, you know, what, like visualizing, you know, watching me, you know, get ground ball double plays or different things like that. But as far as, like, watching video to scout the other team, I don't do it. I watch a lot of baseball, though. So, like, I've watched the A's the last couple, you know, nights or whatever, the last couple weeks, you know, they were on the West Coast. So I can watch the 10 o'clock game or, you know, I'm always catching whoever's, you know, on late. So I watch a lot of baseball. So, uh, you know, I, I know these guys swings. So you are you watching it intentionally knowing you're about to start against them, though? Yeah, I will. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's more useful it's for easy, you watching it that way. It's easier for me to watch the game than it is for me to watch video of myself against these guys. Interesting. Oh, that's cool. Watching somebody similar, maybe another lefty, or how, how how do they get out Chris Davis? Or Yeah, I agree with that. I used to watch other guys like me Yeah. and see how they went about it against a tough lineup. For, for me now, having Hap here, man, has been awesome. Oh. Talking to him the last month about, you know, this guy, you know, facing this guy with you do you know just that like when i had andy here for the longest time and uh you know andy's like my big brother so just leaning on him and like just conversation you know just talking about hey a better guy than andy I don't know of a better teammate. No, 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 no. Hey, you know my favorite yeah. athlete of all time right there. <laughs> nicest nicest for you, guy man. in history. He yeah. is. And, and my stuff is like exactly like what he threw, you know, at the end of his career. That's what I, that's where I'm at now. So um, even talking to him now, you know, just talking conversation about, you know, hey, I saw that pitch. I saw this. What were you thinking? You know, so we have good conversations. Is he too. texting you most, like, a lot of your starts afterwards and we stuff don't, like that? Not, not, not every start. We talk uh, – I mean, we talk, you know, a couple times a month about, but, you know, it always starts with the family and different things, and then we get into baseball. David, do you remember ever having a, a conversation with, I don't know, somebody you looked up to pitching-wise where, like, it, something was told to you that just, like, gave you one of those eureka moments that sat with you forever? Either, I mean, and maybe it was not one conversation, but is there that person or that conversation where something was said that became useful for you for your entire career? Yeah, it was Ron Darling with the Mets early in my career and probably similar to what CeCe went through with, with some of those veterans on the, on the Indian staff. But Ron Darling changed. He was a hard thrower early in his career. He was making the transition. He threw a lot of splitters. And I was learning how to throw a splitter as my third pitch. And he used to throw it down and in to righties, righty on righty. He had the platoon advantage. And he would throw it down and in on righties. And... You know, I'd heard that a few times, but just to watch him do that, it was a light bulb effect for me. I don't have to pull it and try to make sure it's down and away. All the old school pitching coaches said you can't throw anything soft inside corner. It's a home run pitch. There's no margin for error. Any breaking stuff, any off-speed stuff, you got to get it down and away. And Darling said, no, throw it down and in. They'll swing over the top of it. They'll hit it over the dugout. 
and it was a light bulb effect for me. And I started throwing my splitter down and into righties, and it, it just changed everything for me. Wow. What was, what was it like watching Gooden? back in those days. Awesome. Yeah. Well, awesome. You know, I, I, we used to say, you know, we had what we called a ray gun for the, for the radar readings, mm -hmm. and it usually registers about three to five miles an hour slower than the jugs guns. And I don't know, StatCast, I think probably even maybe bumped up a little bit. I don't know. It's out of your hand to home plate. You know, diff, you know it's faster out of your hand than by the time it reaches home plate. Dwight Gooden threw 97 to 99 all night long on that old ray gun. Oh, ray wow. Gun. And, you know, about 1989, we used to keep the charts. You know, it's sitting in the dugout. We're just, it was fuzz. I mean, it was, it was blurry. I mean, they, you say about throwing fuzz, the ball gets smaller, the harder, you know, aspirin tablets is one of the old sayings. It's like, because it gets smaller, the harder it throws. Or it has fuzz hair coming off of it. He was unreal. D Dwight in his prime had a leg kick up to his, to the top of his head. He'd wheel and deal and a Lord Charles hammer. Curveball, man, he was awesome in his prime. I love seeing that. Like, people would come out, too, just to – I mean, it was like an event whenever he would pitch, you know. Like he had that a mural was... on the side of the building in Manhattan. Do you remember you really? that? Yeah, it's down on the Lower East Side, I believe, there's a big picture of Dwight Gooden that was painted on the on the building. He was an icon. It was nothing like him. That year, he was 25 and 4, he went. 25 and 4. I mean, it's talking about records. All yeah, the well, that one's indicative of all, how good he was. All yeah. the, he shouldn't have lost four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was, you know, they didn't hit for him that day. The offense was a good that day. Just ridiculous. Is he, is he in his prime the best you've watched up close? Gooden and Strawberry at 19 years old. And CC can relate to this at 20, breaking into the big leagues. You'll never see two more talented teenagers. 19, 20 year, years old, come into the game. I've never seen that kind of talent. And I know there's good talent. Acuna Jr. is a great talent. Glaber Torres is a great talent. But Daryl Strawberry and Dwight Gooden at 19 years old, the talent they had, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Them things. together. Oh. That's, yeah, that's incredible, the, man. The, wa watching, like, I used to even – you could still – even when Straw was not the same athletic body anymore, like – you could still see the way the talent just like oozed out of him, even coming off the bench on those. Or teams, just the ball, way the ball jumped off his bat. Yeah, like, it was just exactly. such an easy mm -hmm. swing, and I mean, yeah. he's going deep in Oakland, dead center, and you know what I mean. He's hitting balls, I mean, just bombs, just dead, like easy swing all over, yeah. power everywhere. Right, exactly. I can remember when I was a kid coming to a game. He hit five home runs, and uh, I think it was a series against the White Sox here in '96 or '98 or something like that. And two of them, he hit like you know three-quarters of the way up the upper deck in right field, and you're just like, it just, because his home run, he was the guy I always wanted to see take BP. Like, you know, there's like those guys you want to get there early to see take BP. Strawberry was always that guy for me. I always wanted to see him. David, you have experienced World Series here. CC, you have. What is the party like the night of the, that you win the World Series in New York? It. Yours got to be better than mine. <laughs> we can hide. We can definitely hide. <laughs> you can hide. When, we, when they say you can party like it's 1999, we, we really could. Yeah. Two, 2009, not the same. 1999, you, you, could, you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> was, which, one, which one was the best one? The most memorable night, at, night you guys won? You know, because it, you won four here with the It's always Yankees. about first, right? I mean, first girlfriend, first kiss, first whatever. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the first World Series the 90, with the Yankees, 96. You know, you just, we kind of stole that one from the Braves. They were, you know, the, the, the Glavin, Glavin, Maddox, Smoltz, Braves, Chipper Jones. We, you know, they were a better team in 96, and we, we stole it. We stole it away from them. And it was the first one. 
since the 70s for the Yankees. So it was a long dry spell between Reggie Jackson and 1996. It, it was a hungry crowd. The upper deck at the old stadium was shaken. I mean, we thought literally you could see it bouncing up and down. I thought it was going to fall down. I mean, literally, we're in the dugout looking going, that thing's coming down. <laughs> and it actually did. Yeah, like the next year, right? 98. It actually, a 400-pound chunk fell out of the upper deck, and we had to go play at Chase Stadium for a couple of games until they fixed it. Did You went, you went with Kansas City, too, right? Or uh, the, the Blue Jays in 92. That was a big one. Canada's first. Oh, was it really? The Blue Jays yeah, first. Yeah, it was, yeah. 90, they won back-to-back. Everybody remembers Joe Carter. Yeah. Home run. That was the 93. The first one was 92. It was Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield got the game-winning head against the Braves. And I, got, I, got, I have three of Maddox's and Glavin's rings and smokes. How about that? I tell them, yeah. I tell them you can have you the can Hall have of Fame. A, I got your rings. Right? <laughs> you can have the Cy Youngs in the Hall yeah. of Fame. I, t- I take the rings any day. I get that Cy Young back Nin- for, the, for 92, another 96, 99. Yeah, that's right. You did. Yeah. 99, you guys swept them, too. Would you would, would you right now see, like, for another ring, you trade the Cy Young? I do say? whatever you want me to do with that trophy for another ring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't give it like yeah. A, yeah, I don't care about that. Well, Individual awards, man. Yeah, that's not what you play for. I mean, do you, do you just like crave being back out on the mound in October? Oh yeah. yeah, I mean that's what you yeah that's what that's what you uh, I mean that's what you that's what you sign up to be a Yankee for is to, is to play in the postseason and and try to win a ring and and uh, I didn't really understand that until I got here, but uh, no, I mean that's that's this is what it's about. Last year felt like that juice was back, like feeling the crowd and the vibe and the energy and the life, but. I remember being at the old stadium feeling the same way Stan did in the upper deck as a fan in those years where you, you feel it shaking and you're like, what, is this okay? Like, like, <laughs> no, it no. wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's probably not. David, I, I, I want to ask you this. Um, we, when, when we talked with Todd Frazier in this booth a couple weeks ago, he was talking about free agency, how difficult the process was from a union standpoint, how something might need to be done. You were a very vocal guy during the strike. And, I mean, the contributions you made helped to create the system that players have enjoyed over the last 20 years. I'm wondering, what would be, like, as you look at it now, what would be your advice for, or, or is, is there, is, the, is this, a, is this, does this feel like an inflection moment of sorts with the way things went this past free agency in baseball. I think it's gaining momentum going that way. And I noticed Tony Clark just hired a new union lawyer to come in, a guy that worked with Don Fear in the Hockey Players Association. I think that's good. Representation is good. You're up against a behemoth. Uh, The Major League Baseball owners are some of the strongest, most politically connected people in the world. And they have an army of analysts and lawyers, and that's what you're negotiating against. And... uh, you know, it's uh, you talk about an you know unfair fight, so to speak. Uh, you know, it's very difficult uh, for the players. It's always about rights. You know, it's not about I need to make more money. It's about I need to protect the rights that Kurt Flood and guys like that, Andy Messersmith brought about. Don't let them. I still remember Kurt Flood and the meeting he gave us was right before he died. He said, "Don't let them put the genie back in the bottle." And you think about that for a minute. What that means? That's players' rights. Everything they fought for. And that's always going to be the battle. There's always going to be a – they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle, and you can't let them do it. And, you know, it, it, the game is better off for it. That's why I believe Marvin Miller should be in the Hall of Fame. Free agency, things opening up the game, the end of the reserve clause uh, has been good for the game. It's grown the game exponentially. It's, it's a better game for it. 
better product on the field, better for the players, and the owners have benefited too. All you have to do is look at their franchise values. Mm. The franchise values have gone through the roof, and a lot of that is is because the product on the field, regardless of what people want to say today, and you know, we'll stay away from that about the pace of play or whatever people's complaints are. I love the game. I think I, you know you want to tweak it here and there. Okay, we can talk about it. I still think the product is great. I think the talent level is great. I think the pitching's better than ever. Uh, you, you know, yeah, there's there's differences. There's more. There's more guys in the bullpen that throw 95 to 100. Everybody's throwing 100 down. It's, the it's hill, different. Man. I love watching the power of the game. Um, but yes, uh, long story short, uh, is there an inflection point? I don't know. I would I'd be reluctant to say because I'm not in there in that room with them. It's incumbent upon the players to govern themselves. Whoever's on that executive subcommittee, you got to take the initiative, and you have your responsibilities to take it seriously and govern yourselves and protect your own rights. Pretty good. David's a good guy to have leading that, right? We see. Yeah, perfect. I'm grateful for, for everything that he did before. I mean, especially going through the strike and all that stuff. Like, I mean, our salaries and, and you know, the game wouldn't be where it was without these guys before us. So we have to, you know, pay homage to these guys and, and respect these guys for sure, 1,000%. That's one of the problems I have broadcasting, you know. And, and I guess the, the illustrative point is it's what happened between Dennis Eckersley and David Price mm. a couple of years ago. And... That's the toughest thing for me, and, and and you know, it's like I was the I was the players guy. I'm the right. players. I'm, I'm a players advocate. Now that I get in the booth, you get on the other side of the line, and you feel like, wow, am I too critical at times? Am I have I forgotten how hard it is to play the game? You know, I still worry about that. Every year it gets a little better. Be true to the broadcast because you have to be honest. You can't just be a cheerleader up there because then you lose credibility. Right. You have to call them like you see them. But at the same time, I kind of wonder. You know, how you feel about it, CC, and certainly in, in the dugout, I think the players are more in tune nowadays uh, maybe than we were on the broadcast, but how do, you, how do you feel about how the broadcasts go or and then from what you've heard across the league, not necessarily the Yes Network or? Oh, I mean, I think, it, I mean, it, you know, it is what it is. Like you said, you have to be true to it. You can't, you know, um, you know, you can't be a, a, a fan, but you have to, you know, you, you got to give the listeners what they want, you know, and, and, you know, that's different in every market. You know what I'm saying? So it's always different in every town. Yeah, New York is tough. It's, it's always is. different. It's because always different. Because in Chicago or, you know, you can be Hawk Arrelson or whatever. Here they run you out of town yeah. if, you're, if, if you're that way. If I were a player, I'm sure there'd be things I'd be pissed off about. Like, how can, what's he talking about up there? You know, how can yeah. he say that? And I'm sure, I'm sure there are times like that, you know, and I think about that a lot, you know, even though I catch myself at times, you know, uh, it's not like we don't – my job is easier when you guys win. Yeah. yeah. We love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't be up there with the pom-poms going, you know, you know the but, highs and lows with wins and losses. you got to try to you try to be true to it. But you do always want your team to win that you broadcast for because, you know, <laughs> because it's, it's everybody. First of all, let me tell you this. Like, you always had a better broadcast when the, if you're a Yankee broadcast, when the Yankees won. Like, nobody's like, man, that was a great broadcast when the Yankees lose. But when you guys win, oh, you guys had a great broadcast. But, but I was asking you, I was yeah. asking him the difference in between when he does, like, the Nets games and the difference when he does, like, a national like a national game. You can get excited for both yes. teams. Ex that if right. somebody hits a, comes down to hit a three, both teams you get excited for. But you can't be necessarily excited when, you know, somebody comes down for the Lakers and hits a three against the, the Nets. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. It's a, it's a different thing. It, which is why it's way easier to broadcast a national game, right? Like, because you are, you're not, there's no part of you that feels like you have to give a certain amount of time to one team. And, like, it, it, you, I, I can't talk too much about the Royals today. This is a Yankee broadcast. Like, you don't think that ever, you know? You, you're you thinking, I'm just going to 
talk about However whatever the, the story. Goes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be a lot easier. It is. It is. And you're going to get excited for every single play. Yeah. You know? Whereas, like, if I'm calling Yankees White Sox, Jose Abreu hits a game tying home run, I'm still going to do it service, but. I'm not going to blow a vocal cord like I will if Glaber Torres hits a walk-off. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. it is. It's it's much different. It is. It's a, it's a different animal. But, you know, if the Nets are winning, if the Yankees are winning, job's a lot easier. <laughs> and everybody thinks you sound way better. You know? Like, but believe me, if I fill in and you guys get swept, all I'm going to get is tweets about when Michael's oh, coming yeah, back. Oh, yeah, it's your fault. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but if, if if they just lost three straight and I come in and do a series and you guys win three straight, it's like, oh, you have to stay now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. David, thank you for doing this, man. My Appreciate pleasure, it. man. We'll do That's it again good. sometime, and I'm and I'm so glad um, that you've informed us on manscaping. Maybe more than anything <laughs> yeah, else. You yeah, know? yeah, well. <laughs> That's that's the honest that's the to God difference. truth. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you, David. All right, see, I think you're right. He is a lot like you. <laughs> yeah, that was good, man. We got a lot of the same we, the way we think, you know, about pitching. There's a lot of, like a lot of the same belief. It's fun, man. All right, you go you go join your teammates in the clubhouse and we'll do it again next week, man. Yes, sir. Rate, review, subscribe, R2C2 every Thursday.